on November 29, 2007, National Point Me Mark Hinkle, was interviewed by Stephanie Baker for WNCN-TV at WCSH-TV. 1.30 p.m. EST, Wednesday, November 7, 2007. Calling Stephanie Baker, Faith and Values reporter for NBC 17 News, Raleigh, North Carolina, WNCN-TV. NBC. Yes, may I speak with Stephanie Baker, please? This is Stephanie. Good afternoon, Stephanie. This is Mark Hinkle with TruthBearer.org calling me at 1.30 as you requested. That's right. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good, good. Well, the reason I emailed you is, um, as I mentioned in my email, I am the um, Faith and Values reporter for NBC. Uh-huh. And so it's kind of my job to keep up with, you know, trends and different things going on in the faith community. And... Um, I just thought this would make a very interesting story to kind of discuss the biblical background of, of Christian plural marriage and what you guys believe and kind of, you know, shed some light on that to our community. Certainly. Well, I uh, would be glad to uh, have an interview with you here. I do want to let you know this is being uh, recorded and want to make sure that you uh, understood and accepted that and had no problem with it. Okay, sure. Well, we do that with all media, just a matter of backing us up. I understand. Okay. How many of you have helped you? Pardon? How many of you have helped you? Oh, yes. Well, I was, I was hoping to set up an interview. Uh, where are you guys based out of? Old Orchard Beach, Maine. Maine. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in Raleigh. Is, is anybody local to this area, or are all of you guys up in the Maine area? To speak on a uh, public speaking level, because I mean, I understand right now people are pretty scared, uh, and the reason being is, is that... Uh, much of the media has refused to report on the Warren Jeff case that the national movement has always opposed him. And so because of that, uh, polygamists are being considered as, or pro-polygamists are being considered uh, associated with that criminal when we've always opposed him and he's never been a leader of the national movement anyway. Right. You know, so, so that's uh, because uh, the networks have uh, pretty much become uh, manufactured products rather than reporting news stories the uh, that story has not been told to a lot of places and it has put, a, put our lives in serious danger uh, associating us with criminality that we would never ever accept right right and it's my understanding you guys are not affiliated with the Mormon church completely no, we're evangelical Christians throughout all the different churches from uh, Baptist to Pentecost we're individual Christian families not in an isolated community okay okay it, so it's across all the denominations. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a uh, biblical, evangelical Christian movement, totally. Um, okay. We have done this with uh, other uh, small, lo- well, by small, I don't mean anything negative, not national, meaning a local, a local network such as yourself. We, what we have done before is uh, we, if someone doesn't have the ability to use a, uh, like an NBC affiliate up here, to get tapes or use or whatever you want for your report in your location, um, we can provide you with a uh, a mug shot, if you <laughs> headshot, um, and you could provide a, a a telephone interview, for example, if you wanted, and that way you could display that and show it that way, if that would help. Okay, that might help. I don't know if you have the resources to get me up there. I'll have to ask my supervisor. Sure. I think this is a very important issue. It is. And certainly there are, you know, there are Christian payments throughout the, all the states. It's just a matter of the, the public political activism uh, and, and being a public speaker on the issue, uh, being able to uh, deal with the way the media operates. Uh, it, it, it's a, uh, that's why there's not a 
availability, if you will. I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let me talk to my boss. Sure. And I'll see what I can arrange and what I can or can't do, and I will, I guess, should I email you back, or how do you want me to get back? Well, let's see. We've, uh, um, I can give you a, uh, a cell number that you can reach. It's our media cell. Okay. It's the... Uh, It's Old Orchard Beach, Maine, so of course we're in the same time zone as you. Okay, good. Okay, and will you be the one answering the phone? Uh, yeah, it's my cell. It's your cell. It's my cell, yes. Yeah, so, of course, that's confidential, but I mean, I, I'm making that available to you. It's my media cell. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. let me um, talk to my boss, and maybe later on today or tomorrow when I get back to you. Okay, and I can also give you an email address if you want to have a direct email with me to get, pa- to get past the, uh, uh, the response team and all that. Um, and that would, and it's pretty simple. Uh, it's okay, got that. And, and that, they'll certainly make sure that gets to me, for sure. Excellent, excellent. And so you can, you can email me directly, and certainly if you want, want to uh, telephone, I'm generally uh, usually not available between... I mean, if you call, you may get voicemail at that time. You're certainly welcome to. I'm just giving you a, a window of... Uh, insight into when when you may be more successful in actually reaching me by phone. Okay, okay. All right, well, I got that. I'm going to call my boss right now, and I will be back in touch with you. That sounds great. Okay, thank talk, you. Thank you, now talk to you. Yep, bye-bye. NBC. Hello, Stephanie Baker. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mark. I go to Twitter.org. Good, good. Um, yes, yeah, so sorry about that date. I wasn't even thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a problem. You know, when I saw that date come in, I said, I wonder if they thought about that. Because actually, sometimes local shows will do something related to the holiday and all. And I was thinking, I don't know if this is actually the topic they'll be doing on a night before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'll be doing something with turkeys and stuff. So, oh right. God, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't like that very much. Sure. Um, so, let me see. Can we the next week could be fine. This week, well, let's see, I have the Baptist State Convention this week. No, I said next week, the following week, meaning like the 28th or 9th. Okay, yeah, that entire week for me is open, so yeah. that's fine. The 29th would probably be best for me. Okay. Thursday okay. the 29th. 29th, and uh, what time? Um, well, how are, what is the, um, the, the, the setup that you're looking to do? You're not looking for a live situation, I take it. No, we're right. going to do live. Right, um, right. So basically, I would just go to, um, I guess, WCSH-TV, which is the Portland NBC affiliate. And that's what I'm assuming. My, uh, my supervisor is going to try to work that out for me. Right. And I'll, I'll get back with you on that, and as well as sort of the talking points, what I'm going to be, you know, Okay, asking. sure. Um, and I will email that stuff to you. Right. Um, do you want to say tentatively 2 o'clock? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I'm sorry, did you want to say maybe tentatively 2 o'clock? For Thursday. Um, let's see, if I'm going to be in Portland... Actually, 12 would probably be fine. 12? Okay. 12 on Thursday, the 29th. You know what, though? Do they have a 12 o'clock newscast? Uh, yeah, they probably do. Uh, so if they would be in the middle of that, that wouldn't be good. You know, if you want to make it 1 o'clock, that's fine. 1 to 1.30. Yeah. yeah. 1 to 1.30. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I mean 1 or 1.30. I mean, whichever. I mean, if you need more. How much time do you think you're going to need? Probably 30 minutes maximum. I don't see it going beyond that. Okay. And, um, that's my guess. So, yeah, we'll say 1 to one thirty. Just swap that time off. And, um, and yeah, like I said, I'll get back with you on all the final details um, 
like, this has been a crazy week because, uh, because of the convention. But um, sure. as soon as I find out everything, I'll let you know. Okay, but this is specifically only about Christian polygamy itself. It's not about issues like criminals and stuff like that. No, 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 no. Right. Super. No, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get into that area, no. I'm just religion. <laughs> I understand. Well, some people think that polygamy itself is a religion, which it is not. Uh, you seem to be learning that, uh, the way you're talking, and I appreciate that. Um, but I just wanted to know or have an understanding of where you were going with that, and I understand. Right, yeah, just, just sort of the, the biblical basis and things of that nature. Sure. And, uh, and I've done some research on it already, but I'm going to, you know, look further into it just to make sure I've tailored my questions properly, and I will email you all that stuff once I'm finished. Sure, that sounds good. So, Monday, uh, Thursday the 29th, probably sometime at CSH, because I mean, actually... Uh, I don't know the specific office it would be at the 29th uh, at CSH, but you will get all that hammered out in the meantime. Yes, I will. Super. Okay. So we're all set. Thank you. Thank you. Now you take care. All right, you too. Thanks now. Yeah, bye. Yeah, you're looking at this camera. I know it's difficult, but you're pretend you're looking at her. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, how's the audio? Hi, Stephanie. How you? I know. Okay. It's okay. Uh, it's all good. All right. Okay, you guys are rolling. All right. Good. I am. Okay. I am ready. It originally started with, uh, in 94, I began publishing a newspaper called The Standard Bearer here in Southern Maine. And it was an evangelical, conservative, constitutionalist Christian newspaper. And in each of those issues, there would be what was called a truth tract that was specifically about Christian scripture. And therein laid down the doctrines of Christian polygamy. That the Bible never created a one-man, one-woman anti-polygamy doctrine. Eventually, uh, readers brought that to the internet as the new thing of the internet in the 90s. And by uh, 97, we were online. Uh, Truthbearer was uh, part of the standardbearer.com and then eventually uh, became its own website within a year, and individuals who really, really study the Bible uh, around the country from various denominations uh, started using the internet, which allowed people across the country and the world to find other people, and those arguments were laid down, uh, other people understood it, it duplicated, and the movement exploded, and that's how uh, eventually we became the organization for the movement itself. As Christians, whether it's Baptists, Pentecostals, Evangelical, Conservative Christians are taught by the pastors, by the, each of their denominations, that it is sola scriptura. Doctrine is based on the scripture and not based on the doctrines invented by man. So within churches there are deep studiers, such as myself, that we seriously study the Bible, study it very deeply, and you come headlong across an incredible contradiction that there are numerous heroes of the faith from Abraham who had three wives. Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel were born of Israel's four wives. David had eight names known wives. Moses had two wives. So many superheroes of the faith had more than one wife, yet we're told that it means adultery or fornication to be polygamous. That just doesn't make sense. You study it more deeply and you discover that is when a woman breaks wedlock is the original Hebrew definition of adultery and as long as no woman is breaking her wedlock no adultery occurs. So what happens is Christians who are deep studying it from Baptists to Pentecostals come searching the internet find that others have seen this too and so we are the deep studiers. So we're about sola scriptura 
bringing the true Protestant Reformation that scripture is that doctrine is based on the scripture and not the inventions of doctrine by the Catholic institution. So we are bringing this to the churches as a continuation of the Reformation. Well, it's not a... Uh, it's not like we target an individual church of that nature. What will happen is within any church that you go, there will be a population within the church fellowship uh, most of the uh, a mass majority of the fellowship are pretty much followers of what their pastor tells them. They go, sometimes you'll, they'll be referred to as pew sitters, uh, and, and they, they get the general values from what their, their denominational pastor uh, teaches them. Within that, there'll be a small, uh, within the whole population, there'll be a smaller majority of Bible studiers, and within that, there'll be the deep studiers. So what'll happen very often is that super studiers will realize that they're quite outnumbered and they may bring it to their pastor and their pastor may uh, say yes it's true but we can't go forward because pastors are in a really they're in a double bind quandary if they they acknowledge the truth of this they've got uh, problems from above that will uh, perhaps fire them for breaking their uh, doctrinal purity to the a covenant that they've sworn uh, to their denomination or they've got uh, problems from below that the congregation will leave if they uh, actually dare tell the truth. So there's great pressures on pastors and uh, certainly the deep studying individuals within each individual churches and that's why we provide a support that this actually is real and as we keep gaining more and more momentum more and more churches uh, and more and more individuals within those churches have that support. <coughs> Certainly. I uh, was a college graduate. I got two degrees in three years with a 4.0 uh, business and accounting. I was uh, graduated summa cum laude. Uh, laude. I was a, a super student as it were. Um, that's actually one of my particular gifts is I seriously know how to study very deeply uh, and that's that's what I bring to uh, to the movement itself and by uh, by the early 90s uh, I had uh, basically hit the recession had hit a investor bought my job as a controller that I had as a young man and I was definitely uh, I was overqualified for uh, my experience tenure and I was under uh, under tenure for my skills. So I, I couldn't get work and I had to go self-employed and go entrepreneurial at that point. But I had an enormous financial crash and that's what actually brought me uh, to, uh, to my knees uh, and to, to uh, becoming a born-again Christian and totally studying uh, the Word of God. And by, uh, by 93, uh, it was clear that uh, there was such a massive contradiction in the scriptures that that didn't, uh, uh, that, that y you can't, the emperor has no clothes. And, and it was time that finally, just as the Apostle Paul stood before the traditionalist Pharisees, just as Martin Luther and the Reformers stood before the traditionalist Catholic institution, uh, so too today do we, uh, Scripture, Sola Scriptura believers, Christian polygamists, stand before traditionalist Protestants and say, God's word is true. You have to believe what God's word says. And if you're going to say you do, then you have to understand that the idea of one man, one woman is a man-made invention and is actually marital socialism that has left us now with a society of abandoned single moms and marriage-phobic males.
that is a suggestion that anti-polygamous Christians will try to suggest that it is that polygamy is only in the Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament, we're, we are New Testament, New Covenant Christians. It's ironic that anti-polygamists will say that we are Old Testament when they're the ones who use Adam and Eve as the basis for their invented one man, one woman doctrine. But you can't get any more Old Testament than the very first story of the Old Testament books. It's just you can't get more Old Testament. We're actually, the, we're not after the first Adam. We don't follow the first Adam of the flesh in the Old Testament, but actually the second Adam, which is Christ, of the New Testament. And the marriage model is not after the fleshly Adam and Eve, but after the Ephesians 5, 22 to 25, which is the model of Christ and his churches. And the sinless Lord Jesus Christ himself described himself as the polygamous bridegroom in Matthew 25, 1 to 13, as coming to marry five of the ten virgins. If polygamy was a sin, the sinless Lord Jesus, Lord and Savior, would never have told a parable describing himself as a polygamist in, parable, in a parable terms. Not literal, but parable. No. It is 1 Corinthians 7, 17, But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk, and so are they and I in all churches. Be it no wife, one wife, or more than one wife. It's only as God would call. It's not an issue of superiority, but rather God favors marriage. Just like uh, there are men with super skills of uh, basketball, Michael Jordan. There's men with super skills of golf. Tiger Woods. There are men that have super skills as husbands and really care about women, help women be what they want to be. And certainly the idea of, of marital socialism, one for each so that each might have one, automatically limits the ability of men who would actually grow or the laissez-faire economics to give incentive for men to actually start growing up and cure this ridiculous society of abandoned single moms and marriage-phobic males. If that's the case, God will not call a husband without calling the wife as well. We have what's called the standard of Christian polygamy, which is love not force. And we make that very clear at lovenotforce.com. That a man would not suggest and pound his chest and say, oh, God called me to have more than one wife. And his wife is not embracing it. That's just not the way God works. Certainly, if God has called this as a situation to happen, then it would be something that both would embrace. There are say, for example, abandoned single moms that would love to be able to not be a hamster in a wheel, to have to uh, work just to pay for low-paid strangers taking care of their children in daycare, or to otherwise go on welfare. But at the same time, there may be perhaps a uh, wives that are married to a husband, and for whatever reason, uh, you know, their biology doesn't permit them to have children, but they want their husband's DNA to certainly go on. They may want something like this. The point is that we're talking about what consenting adults do, choose to do, and certainly nothing that would be uh, against the, the free choice of consenting adults. I see that, yes. I, I, I do see that we have very many questions to go. We haven't really gotten into the, uh, the, the issues of, of marriage itself. That would be fine. Yeah? Uh, well, well, we can do that, but I won't be able to be available probably for about... No. An hour and a half or so? No, that's fine. Huh? Yeah. You know, and come on. They're going to try to extend the window. They go, they're going to extend the window? I think so. They're so. trying to extend the window, yeah. Stephanie. 
I agree. So what, keep going? They have to do it on their own. You have to do it on your end. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. If we are limited, Good enough. I would like to basically Thank be you very guys. brief on the FRBS section, only to say that we oppose them. I'd rather not spend too much time on them if we're limited in time. They're going to try to extend another 15 minutes. Okay. Do you hear me, Stephanie? Nope. Are you there, Stephanie? Did you hear what I said about the FLDS? You didn't hear me? Stephanie? Yeah. If the window closed, that might mean she couldn't hear you. So okay. it might have closed and they're trying to. Right. Well, at one point she said something, uh, but she didn't, it wasn't in the context of talking to me. Yeah, it goes by quick. Well, yeah. we didn't really get started until by past. Yeah, we, we did lose some time for sure. Stephanie? <laughs> Stephanie? Yes, please, actually. Yes. Right. That sounds good to me. Sin well, like, like I... I agree. I would like to not spend our limited time on the FLDS, except maybe to just simply say we oppose all the things that they're about. In other words, if we just want to go into that one briefly and go out of it, I'd rather rather focus on what we are about and not about what criminals are about, if that's okay. Are you there? I lose you again. I don't think she heard anything I just said. Went <laughs> through a whole paragraph. <laughs> she's there. I don't think she's actually there to hear me. She told me, oh, we're going to be off for three minutes, but then she didn't hear the rest. Well, we, we can go past the FLDS, Stephanie. Stephanie, we can bypass the FLDS. I can. Did you hear what I said about the FLDS? I did, I did. Okay. Okay, I mean, I'm glad to say we oppose them. Right. Sure. Typically, it will be two, maybe three. Yeah. It's what it's the dynamic of what consenting adults choose to do. The 
with an additional with each additional wife you don't have a linear progression of personal dynamics you have a geometric progression so it's really it's uh, double means two to the square uh, three means three to the cube because every reaction with one you have uh, other reactions with the other Absolutely. Love not force that this is something that the whole family, consenting adults, would embrace. Marriage is about intimacy on an intellectual level, and a, an intimate level, a spiritual level, a psychological level, not just a physical level, but all those different things. It's a oneness of I know you, you know me. And certainly if you're, you're talking marriage, and that's what we're talking about here, marriage, that you couldn't possibly break that intimacy by just suddenly you know, bringing in another one and there isn't a, a, that intimacy of acceptance. So certainly, given the high value of marriage, someone who's truly committed to his wife couldn't even begin to conceive of bringing another wife without the other wife's already embracing the idea. The only concept of a first, second, and third is pure chronology, but not, not a, a systematic military top-down command concept at all. As in any uh, loving family, these are certainly, you take two, three intelligent women, and no man is going to successfully manage marriage to two or three women unless he's a good guy. They've got to want it. I mean, they're, it's either going to fall apart or they're going to gang up on him. So it's not about some tyrannical idea of a man, but actually it's a man caring about women. Maybe one woman wants to work and another woman wants to stay home and raise the children. Now the woman going to work has the freedom to know she's doing so and has the choice and has the freedom to do so knowing that her children are being raised by someone who loves them instead of some low-paid stranger at daycare. Well certainly at this level of marriage it's an issue of maturity. Uh, you might think of it comparable to the different levels of mathematics. You have to learn numbers in order to then learn how to count, then you have to learn how to count, then from counting you learn to add, then you learn to multiply, then you learn algebra, then geometry, trigonometry, up to calculus. Someone may grow up to a level of calculus, others may only grow up to, say, multiplying and not knowing how. The same thing is true with the maturity required in the interpersonal relationships with more than one woman. So certainly the ability to be emotionally and intellectually mature with women in, in any kind of a situation. So it's the personal dynamics and trying to resolve things all together as a family that really is the only way that that's going to work for, for a Christian polygamy family. Well, certainly it's what each individual family chooses on their own. Uh, you know, the, there are those that may choose to have uh, different housings. Others may choose that the, the dynamic just is such that they really want to be closer than that, so they share the same house. It's not a, a monolithic issue that all families all do the same exact identical thing. It's what the consenting adults choose to do and, you know, what they, their personal needs are, and then they come together as a family and they make those decisions individually as each personal family chooses to do.
certainly not. It, again, it's whatever the consenting adults choose to do and whatever works for the interpersonal dynamics of each individual uh, polygamous family and the choices that they make and need. There are less than 50,000 uh, non-Mormon uh, polygamous families around the country. That as well, the polygamy rights movement also is comprised of vastly more individuals that may not be practicing but want the freedom to do so and certainly see the cure for society of a win-win solution uh, to this whole marriage debate of getting government out of the definition of marriage whatsoever and providing a win so that conservatives have the conservative win of limited government and homosexuals have the win of no special rights for those who choose one man, one woman. So it becomes a win-win for everybody. So the point is, is that Government shouldn't be involved, and families, of what consenting adults choose to do, that should be something that's a, a an understood and, and almost taken for granted acceptance. Yes. It's across all denominations. We've had Baptists to Pentecostals, uh, from super law to super grace. Uh, it spans the various doctrinal bases. The point is, is that the thing that unifies all the evangelical Christian denominations is the coming out of the Reformation that says doctrine is based sola scriptura, based on the scripture, not on the inventions of man. One man, one woman is an invented doctrine by the Catholic institution about a few centuries after Christ when Christianity transformed from, transformed from being the persecuted faith of the apostles and disciples to becoming the political powerhouse of the Catholic institution where governments were then controlled by the Catholic institution. So one man, one woman is uh, purely a, a, an invention and that's why Christians who really study the Bible cannot possibly conclude that the Bible ever created the one man, one woman doctrine. It's just impossible. The emperor has no clothes. Yes and no. There is a our, our agenda on a political stand is decriminalization and the mission is to bring it to uh, the Christian conservative churches. Politically, uh, the house of cards, anti-polygamy is a house of cards built upon different floors of political constituencies. And the very first floor holding up all of that house of cards is our fellow evangelical conservative Christians who made the mistake of staying in the invented doctrine of the Catholic institution. As we help them understand the Bible never created one man, one woman, and that you can't use government for, uh, for marriage anyway, even Adam and Eve were never married by government. And as we help them understand that and understand through love not force that this is truly about loving women and dedicated to family, you know, overcoming the abandoned single moms and marriage phobic male society that our sick society currently is. As we help them understand that, we kick out the first floor of the house of cards of anti-polygamy thinking. Liberals have to accept it because tolerance dogma automatically requires liberals to embrace consenting adult uncoerced polygamy. Feminists have to accept the, uh, the choices that women choose. And if women choose this, feminists have to accept this. Cultural conservatives would like to offer non-tax governmental solutions to help abandon single women, uh, perhaps have a better opportunity in life, or to uh, maybe even not have to use welfare. And certainly this provides that alternative. So that floor comes crashing down. The whole house of cards of anti-polygamy thinking comes crashing down.
Certainly. Well, uh, it appears that much of the media has forgotten their English lessons. A neutral noun is not modified by a missing adjective, meaning the word polygamy is a neutral word. It's just like the word day is a neutral word. But if you use an adjective rainy and call it a rainy day, that's a different uh, definition than a sunny day. The adjective makes the difference. The same thing is true for the neutral word for polygamy. There is Mormon polygamy, which is based on the Mormon doctrines and bases. There is Christian polygamy, which is evangelical, conservative, Bible-based. There is secular polygamy, has no religious basis whatsoever. There is Jewish polygamy, uh, Muslim polygamy. It's various forms that people choose of their own, uh, own paradigms. And now when you go to shows like HBO, that was about Mormon polygamy. Certainly it was a more secularized form of, of Mormon polygamy, but nevertheless they are Mormons and they use the Mormon paradigm. The biggest myth that is frequently told is all polygamy equals Mormon polygamy. And that simply is intellectually vacant. The, you've got to have your adjective understand the paradigm and address each individual paradigm. HBO is uh, a fascinating show and certainly shows that not even all Mormon polygamists want to be like the, uh, the cultic. Uh, types of uh, fundamentalist forms, but uh, at the end of the day, HBO's big love is also Mormon polygamy. Mm. Well, first it starts with God himself describes himself as a polygamist married to Israel and Judah in Jeremiah 3. He does it again, describing himself as a polygamist married to Ahola and Holba in Ezekiel 23. The Lord Jesus Christ describes himself as coming to marry five of the ten wise virgins in Matthew 25, 1-13. In 2 Samuel 12, 8, the Lord God himself was criticizing David for taking Uriah the Hittite's one wife and having Uriah killed. And in that verse is amazing. God said, I gave you all your wives, because at that point David had seven named known wives before he took Bathsheba. And God said, I gave you all your wives, and if you had wanted more, I would have given you more. That's right there in 2 Samuel 12.8. God himself took responsibility for giving David his wives. Then you've got Moses, who wrote the Adam and Eve story, who wrote the Genesis 2.24 verse that says, the two shall be one flesh, that Jesus requotes in Matthew 19. Moses himself wrote the Adam and Eve story and wrote the Genesis 2.24, and Moses had two wives. Certainly an author knows what he meant, and he was one flesh with each of his two wives. So there is numerous, and we can go on and on. There's, there's so much evidence I could continue on. Go to biblicalpolygamy.com for all the arguments that totally proves it. I'm sorry, please repeat. There are many myths that are out there and the media seems to feed off of sensationalism. For example, there is no such thing in the history of the universe of anybody ever escaping from polygamy. That's about as ridiculous as saying somebody escaped from monogamy. The oh, People escape abuse. They escape cults. And as normal consenting adult pro-polygamists around uh, the country, our hearts have gone out to every single person who has suffered abuse. Unfortunately, they transformed that abuse that they suffered at the hand of, an, of a cult or suffered at the hand of abuse, and they turn around and they say all polygamists did that. But that's like trying to uh, 
blame all Christianity for someone who comes out of a cult, say the Jonestown cult 30 years ago. The, there are just so many myths that continue to be perpetrated that, that is not provided with real intellectual honesty in the debate. And it's always one-sided where the, uh, those who have suffered abuse come out, they pander, and they say they suffered again from polygamy. They did no such thing. That's impossible any more than saying a woman who suffered a monogamous battered hu from battering husband, that this dear battered wife of a monogamous was somehow escaping from monogamy. We are so glad that he was caught and that he's been convicted and that he is going to prison. The he was actually not anything about polygamy. The charges against him were for, the case itself rather, involved arranged marriage, incest, and underage marriage. We are for none of those. None of those. The whole idea of, of, of the whole group sacrificing their minds to the decision making of, of one leader, that's just anathema to us. We're normal, consenting adult uh, Christian Americans around the country. We're not for any of that. And what he did was nothing to be involved, didn't involve polygamy whatsoever. Yet he wasn't called an incest leader. He wasn't called an arranged marriage leader. He wasn't called an underage marriage. He was wrongly called a polygamous leader. He's just the leader of a little cult down in Utah and we're around the country. We're, we, you know, he's just, they're just a little tiny group. It's like defining all Christianity by Jonestown. It's the same idea. It's ridiculous. Warren Jeffs has more in common with mainstream Mormons than the rest of us normal pro-polygamists around the country. There was a yes and there's a no. That many want to actually act like we don't exist because of our standard of love not force. That's why, for example, certain groups that try to be anti-polygamy, the professional anti-polygamists that transform abuse into blaming all polygamists everywhere in all circumstances, they don't want to admit that we exist because we provide a benevolent model of polygamy and certainly loving women and caring about women and wanting helping women be the best that they want to be in a sick society of abandoned single moms and marriage phobic males. We want to give men the incentive to grow up and, and care about women. So these anti-polygamous professionals, the professional anti-polygamists who want to get fame, want to get money and want to use tax dollars to uh, aggrandize themselves, are, uh, they don't want to even acknowledge we exist. Now, there are those that have suddenly think that because Warren Jeffs is a polygamist, well, though they should have described him as a Mormon polygamist, there are those that suddenly think that suddenly we're like that, and we're not, because it, you've, the media needs to start using the appropriate adjectives to accurately describe the differentiation. I would like to say that we are very pro-family. We are not redefining marriage. Anti-polygamy is the real slippery slope that led to the invention of the legal construct of same-sex marriage. If government wasn't involved in trying to redefine marriage by excluding polygamy, then there never would have been a basis for the pursuit of homosexuals pursuing the legal construct of same-sex marriage. Homosexuals have the right to an imagination, and if they want to imagine they're married, they're fine. They, people have a right to imagine there's seven moons, but there aren't. 
And so if they want to imagine they're married, even though coitus makes it biologically impossible, they have the right to that imagination. But at the same time, nobody has the right to redefine marriage, whether it be for those who choose one man, one woman, those who choose homosexual behavior, or those who choose otherwise. Government doesn't have that authority either way, and that's why polygamy rights is the win-win solution to finally save America and help America end the marriage debate once and for all. Certainly. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Thanks now. Yep, bye-bye. Do you have an update there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mark Henkel is National Polygamy Advocate. Presented polygamy to the public since 1994. NationalPolygamyAdvocate.com